Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Litarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, please give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. As always, John and I are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 219 live from Saturday, or live from Las Vegas here on Saturday. John, last time we spoke, uh, we were previewing the, uh, the 218 card and, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on since then. Uh, um, a, any reactions or anything to the day's news or uh, uh, just gearing up for 219 here? Well, I think the big news right at the moment is I think this is kind of like a card that's sort of being overlooked in the sense that the UFC is really just pushing towards the two title fights that they have planned um, in Boston coming up with Nagano and Miocic and mm-hmm. Cormier and, um, and Volkan, but this is, you know, the definitely the the cancellation of the Jimmy Rivera, um, John Lineker fight definitely threw a bit of a damper on this card. But there's some quality fights. Um, obviously, just the one title fight and you know two in the upcoming card. But this is actually a pretty decent card. Um, the undercard isn't, you know, I mean, like you know the prelims aren't great, but the main card certainly has 
um, some underrated fights and some star power. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Rivera and Lineker. Of course, Lineker had to withdraw, had a tooth infection. Then they tried to salvage the fight. I know Rivera was trying to call out Marlon Moraes, and and they couldn't quite get the deal done. John Dodson's name's been floating around. But in any case, we're going to have the matchup between Mark Diakessi and Dan Hooker um, moved up to the main card here. And, of course, uh, DraftKings salaries came out after the uh, Rivera-Lineker cancellation. So don't have to worry about changing your lineups there on DraftKings. Kings. But John, let's jump right into it here. Uh, we got to break down this uh, women's featherweight championship here. Chris Cyborg won the belt in July against Tanya Evinger, and now they're making what I think is the biggest uh, women's MMA fight that you can make at this point in time. There were some contract disputes, of course, but uh, they come in, and Chris Cyborg is going to take on Holly Holm. And of course, Cyborg uh, is going to be a big betting favorite at minus 370, but that's uh, a smaller odds in her favor, I guess, than many of her most recent fights. The salary discrepancy, Cyborg 9,300, Holm 6,900. I mean, can you think of any path to victory for Holly Holm in this one, or, or, or are we picking Cyborg across the board? Um, it's cyborg across the board for me. Um, you know, it's hard to say that Holly Holmes UFC career has been a disappointment because she, you know, she did defeat Ronda Rousey, um, for the women's bantamweight championship. But the truth of the matter is Holly Holm has had a, a pretty disappointing run in the UFC. Um, it, her record you know, is, you know, more positive than negative in the sense that, you know, she's four and three, but even a couple of her victories, you know, were not impressive. And it's almost as if she's still sort of dining out, um, you know, on the victory over Rousey. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, the look, highlight you see in all the promos here when you see promos for this card. It's just that head kick that put Rousey down and essentially yeah. ended her career. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, I don't want to, Rousey was obviously great, but, you know, I don't think obviously a victory over Rousey, you know, today doesn't mean as much as it did a few years ago. And, this is, it's a big fight, but it's a bigger fight and a closer fight, probably on paper than I expect to be in reality. And the reason for that is essentially that, you know, Holly Holm is a striker and she's going to have a speed advantage over, um, over cyborg. And she probably would have a cardio advantage if it, the fight ended up in the fourth, or the fifth round, but cyborg has probably twice as much power. And, um, Holly Holm, who turned 36 years old in this in October, I just don't see how she's going to be able to do something other than strike and you know and prevail. And I'm sure um, Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn they're going to try and come up with some kind of plan. But but then again, everybody was picking against Holm when she fought Rousey, and we saw how that ended. But this on paper seems to be like uh, seems to be a really bad matchup for Holm. Um, Cyborg's salary as high as everybody knew it would be, um, $9,300. i am a little surprised, honestly, that the Vegas odds aren't more lopsided in Cyborg's favor. You said she's minus 370. I'm surprised it's not more like, I don't know, minus 450, minus 500, somewhere in that area. I'm um, seeing a range. It Holmes goes been, anywhere for me from about minus 320 to minus 400. But like like you said, John, I still think that is a little bit uh, It's a little bit surprising uh, that there is enough money coming in on home to keep these odds reasonable. Yeah, it is. And there's I've seen nothing from Holly Holm um, recently or really at all to, to lead me to believe that she has a chance to win this fight. And she suffered. She was on a three-fight winning streak home, bounced back in her last fight in June. 
knocked out Betch Kohea, but you know, even that these days doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Kohea is closer to being released than she is to impacting any title picture. So, um, you know, Cyborg's salary is massive, but if there's any fighter, at least in, you know, the women's division that has a really good chance of paying off, I think it's her. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe the fight will get out of the first round. I think we'll probably get out of the second round. She's just, Cyborg has too much power. And this is the UFC essentially created this division for Cyborg. She's now the champion. And I think they're going to run into trouble because I just, I don't think they have very many candidates to give her a realistic competitive fight. And home is good. Home will do a good job as far as drawing power because, you know, she has name recognition because of the win over Rousey, but Holly Holm doesn't really deserve a title shot. You know, coming off a three-fight losing streak, you get one third-round win over Betch Kohea, you know, that doesn't mean you, in, if in, a, in an ideal world where there are plenty of contenders, that doesn't mean you earn a title shot. So, but as we know, the UFC's goal is to make money, and, you know, they probably think this is a fight that's going to make the most money, and that's what they're going to go with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like people are lining up to face Cyborg either. That's the one another big thing. So uh, we'll see here. Uh, the, I mean, I think they're eventually grooming uh, Megan Anderson, who's over at, at Invictus still. Um, I think they're eventually grooming her to face that, but I don't know if she's quite ready to face someone like Cyborg yet. But it's a landslide Cyborg across the board. I mean, I'm obviously picking her too. She was one of two unanimous selections in our Staff Picks article that I posted on the website today. Uh, We'll get to the other unanimous selection uh, a little bit later on. But, I mean, the odds of finishing this, minus 195. Holm does have a slight reach advantage. She's a southpaw. I don't think that's going to cause enough problems here for Cyborg. And at 9,300? That's pretty much a lock for me, John. She's going to go in all my lineups because of uh, the high likelihood that she gets a finish. Surprisingly, she's actually the second highest priced fighter on the card. Khalil Roundtree, um, he's priced at ninety four hundred. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see any reason why you wouldn't use Cyborg in your lineup unless you're making twenty lineups and need to protect yourself in one or two. Yeah, you know, we always have to keep making multiple lineups, and you know, the biggest the biggest thing I'd be worried about is if you use someone in all your lineups is some kind of freak injury or some kind of, you know, dumb referee stoppage or, you know, something like doctor stoppage, something like mm-hmm. that. But, yeah. you know, that can always happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, you really can't set your lineups based upon some fluke thing happening. So, mm-hmm. you know, certainly advocate using cyborg despite the heavy salary. Yeah. She's got to go in those lineups. So she's a lock here, uh, but we're going to move to the co-main event here. This one, um, a little bit more contested among the staff here. Uh, we've got a, a matchup, a lightweight matchup here between Habib Nurmagomedov. He's taking on Edson Barbosa. The lightweight division still being held hostage a little bit by Conor McGregor, who Dana White thinks will fight maybe summer 2018. Who the heck really knows? Tony Ferguson, of course, crowned the interim champion in that division with his win over uh, Kevin Lee. So in all likelihood, maybe we'll try to make, uh, you know, if... if, if the winner here would fight Tony Ferguson if hypothetically they were to make Connor vacate the belt here. But anyway, let's not look too far ahead. Nurmagomedov, uh, 9,100 on DraftKings, minus 280 favorite. Barbosa, 7,100 on DraftKings, and he's a plus 240 favorite. I mean, Habib has been able to wrestle and dominantly wrestle just about everybody he's faced in the UFC. Now he hasn't been the most active guy, but he's been he's used that one heavy wrestling strength to his advantage here. Do you see this one going any differently? You know, this is a closer fight I think than than most people probably think it is. And the other thing is 
I think Habib is probably the best lightweight in the world now. He's almost ineligible for the title simply because the guy's always hurt, you know, and he never seems to fight. By the time he steps into the cage on Saturday, it's going to be another, what, 17 and a half months, 16 and a half months um, between fights. Uh, to give you an idea, since September 2013, so that's, you know, four plus years ago, the guy's only fought three times. So he just, there have been a multitude of injuries. He had a knee problem. He's had problems cutting weight. There are all sorts of things. Um, but you're right in the sense that there's been absolutely no one who has been able to stop his takedowns. And he's averaged more than six takedowns a fight, which is a massive number. Now, the thing about Boza has going for him is, one, his takedown defense over the course of his long UFC career is exceptional. It's just under 87%, which is a terrific number. But the thing you got to keep in mind is Habib has some sort of special mythical ability to get guys to the ground. Um, even when it looks like he, he's in for a bad shot or it looks like he doesn't have proper leverage and all those kind of things, he still finds a way to get his guy to the mat. And Barboza is a live underdog. Um, I think Khabib's probably the best lightweight in the world, but that should tell you how good Barboza is. That I think he has... I wouldn't pick him. I'm not picking him to win. I took Khabib. But if you want to make an argument that Barboza is the better play given his you know, $2,000 cheaper salary, I'd be willing to listen. And even the Vegas odds, you know, more or less right. But I think there's, um, you know, I think there's some value in Barboza here. And one thing you can say about Habib is he barely gets hit. 1.5 significant strikes per minute absorbed. But the reason that number is so low is simply because he sends almost every fight on top of his opponent for the entirety of the fight, just grinding him away. So, um, what you know, happens if a couple times, his... you know? Yeah, he, and, he, and he, he has shown that he can get hit and he can take damage, and Barbosa has the power, you know, to finish a fight. So if Barbosa is somehow able to keep this fight on the, on the seat for an extended period of time, you know, I think he has, you know, more than a puncher's chance of winning, but we've yet to see anyone who's been able to come close to stopping Habib's takedown attempts. And I'm in the, um, you know, I need to see it to believe it type category, even though Bovoza has exhibited, exhibited terrific takedown defense over the course of his career. You know, fighting Habib is a different kind of animal. So we'll see how, you know, legitimate his takedown coverage is because, um, you know, Habib's going to, you know, start with constant pressure, you know, the second the bell rings. Yeah, this is an interesting card on DraftKings is because there are not a lot of really close fights odd-wise. There are only a couple underdogs that are even in the hundreds, to be honest. So there's a lot of big salary discrepancies, and you're going to have to pick upsets like this one if you want to play this card on DraftKings. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you, John. I'm picking Habib, too, because I'm not quite sure. I've, I've, I, I can believe that anyone can stop those takedowns in that, in that top position of Habib. He's had plenty of time. His nutritionist, his camp, his says the weight's back on track. If you are going to use Habib on DraftKings, um, you definitely want to make sure he weighs in and he looks okay at weigh-ins. Uh, I, don't, I haven't seen anything to see otherwise so far, so he would be okay, but it's just you know kind of one of those things that it's worth checking back on. But like you said, John, I mean, yeah, Barbosa has that five-inch inch reach advantage. What happens if he lands a really hard elbow? You know, what happens if he gets a, a knee to the chin? We'll see how Habib reacts to that. So it's possible. We're both picking Habib, but 
But I agree with you, John, in a sense that Barboza is a live underdog, and two of our five guys that do the staff picks actually went out on a limb and picked Barboza. So, you know, a lot of people like to, they won't take a fighter off of such a long layoff as Habib. So there are reasons that we could say where, where Barboza could reasonably win. Yeah, there are. And it's, you know, Barboza likes to stay active, and like we said, Habib never fights. So, you know, despite what Dominic Cruz says, ring rust or octagon rust, whatever you want to call it, you know, is a real thing, and guys handle it differently. So Barbosa is a good fighter. He's an underrated fighter. He does a lot of things well, and if a B becomes too one-dimensional and Barbosa somehow manages to remain on his feet for an extended period of time, he can win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very much so. That's the, it's going to be a very interesting dilemma that every fantasy player is going to have to go through and and make that decision uh, when we get going on DraftKings here. But moving down the card, John, uh, we've got a women's strawmate strawweight matchup here. Cynthia Calvillo is red hot. She gets uh, a more established name in the division in Carla Esparza. Now Calvillo has rattled off. Three straight Rick victories in the UFC. If you look at the calendar year alone, she's had four wins in 2017 so far. So, I mean, a lot of people would have her up for fighter of the year if she, if the team alpha male product here is able to go ahead and get another win. Of course, her most recent one against Joanne Calderwood, probably the most impressive here. But she gets a matchup against, uh, you know, Carlos Barza, who I mentioned, you know, a little bit more established in terms of uh, UFC. She's faced, uh, you can probably say uh, with ease that, uh, that Esparza has faced um, some of the uh, a much more difficult uh set of opponents. Now, Esparza's beaten current champion, Rose Namajunas. She's lost to Ioanni and Jacek, beaten Juliana Lima, lost to Randa Marcos, uh, and then most recently picked up the win against Marina um, Morose. So she's a little bit up and down, a little bit inconsistent, but um, definitely a game opponent for Calvillo. Now, do you see Cynthia Calvillo's momentum stopping in this one? Um, I This is my upset. I'm taking Esparza. And I'm not totally sold on um, Calvillo yet. You're right. Her last fight against Joanne Calderwood was, even though that was a, a decision win and her first two wins were submission victories, the win over Calderwood was, was by far her most impressive performance. She was facing, really for the first time, you know, a well-known, established opponent. And it was a fight that she won with ease. So there were definitely positive signs. She trains with, probably i would say the best camp in in the world really for smaller fighters um you know that being team alpha male but gasparza has one thing going for her and much like habib um in the previous fight that we just talked about asparza's biggest asset is her wrestling and she averages almost five takedowns a fight again a massive number um calvillo admittedly small sample size her takedown defense, just 50%. So she knows what's going to be coming at her. Um, I, Team Alpha Male, you know, Uriah Faber, all, all those guys there, they're going to have her trained for what's coming. And what's coming is going to be a lot of takedown attempts from Esparza. Um, and the, the issue is, I'm pick, I picked Esparza to win, but the issue with Esparza is even if she wins, it's probably going to be a really – boring you know grinding kind of fight and i'm not sure if it's one that would lead to a ton of fantasy points for esparza you know she might be able to get a couple takedowns here and there but i'm not sure if she's going to do a whole lot from top position as far as you know 
you know, strikes and those kind of things. So it, it's kind of a tricky fight. And Calvillo is good on the mat. She's a good submission specialist. Um, she has, you know, a couple of her first two UFC wins were by submission. So when it's supposed to get through the mat, if she does, Calvillo, you know, is a submission threat. But uh, this is one of those fights where, I don't know, it might be a good idea to stay away altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Sparza, like you said, competition's better, face better competition. But admittedly, she's been inconsistent, and Calvillo's on a nice run. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, a fight that can go either way, but, you know, I'm trying to find some salary relief here and there, and uh, I think there's a chance and a spot where you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I understand. Uh, I mean, if salaries weren't an issue at all, and I just had to do a straight up pick them, I think I would still take Calvillo because I like the way that the momentum's gone. She's been more consistent um, than uh, than uh, than Sparza, like I mentioned. And so, you know, I got to be boring and take the favorite in this one. But John, the thing is, is we're looking at this from a DraftKings perspective here, and I talked about how there's so many lopsided odds on this entire card here. You almost. Even though her her upside overall, I mean, Esparza. Let's see here. She averages about, um, you know, what do we have here? Two point, or I'm sorry, four point seven nine takedowns per fifteen minutes. So that's enough to get you um, some fantasy points there. If she passes guard a few times, mixes in some ground strikes, that could be decent fantasy value out of um, out of Esparza. And at seven thousand, that's dirt cheap. But I, I do like. The way that uh, you know uh, Calvillo's momentum is heading, and uh, I'm, maybe I'm buying into the momentum thing too much. Um, but officially on the record, I'm going to go ahead and pick Calvillo by decision. And but when I'm sitting here putting together lineups, John, I, I don't see I don't see very many dogs that I like better than Esparza. So it's a really really tough uh, tough decision. But you got to pick underdogs on DraftKings. So I see where you're coming from, John, and I think uh, Esparza is just as good as anyone on the main card to pull that upset here. But let's move on here. Welterweight matchup. We've got the return of one of my favorite nicknames, the natural-born killer, Carlos Condit. He takes on Neil Magny, who's active. He's pretty consistent. Um, it's a pretty good fight. And, you know, the staff has uh, is leaning tev- heavy towards Condit. But when you look at the entire card, this is the closest fight odds-wise on the card. Condit's about minus 160, Magny plus 140. So, you know, if you're doing a numbers game here, I, I don't know if uh, – I, 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 what do you think, John? I mean, do you, do you think Condit comes back after the layoff and the setbacks and can and can really put on another dominant performance against Magny? I think he can, but I, I don't know about you, but I've been burned by Neil Magny so many times over the years in the, you know, in the other way in the sense that I've picked against him and he wins. So he finds a way to hang around. You know, the only real – the only fight – um, of late of Magny's that I can really remember in which he got, you know, totally dominated was um, his fight against Damian Maya in which he just, you know, wasn't competitive in the least, but that was just a, uh, you know, that was just a total clinic from Maya. So, yep. you know, zero DraftKings points in that fight. Yeah. Condit, you know, openly and contemplated, you know, stepping away. And this isn't the first time he's talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's normally not a good sign for off. a fighter when they start talking about that. No, it, it's not. But I will say, uh, he's. I think he has, you know, a lot left to give. Uh, you know, when once you're right, once guys start talking about hanging it up, you know, there probably should be that should be a thought in their mind. But I, I think Condit has a lot left. 
does everything well, is, is as tough as they come. You know, I don't think the time off is going to hurt him as much as it might hurt, you know, a younger fighter who, who just, you know, needs the reps. Um, you know, you're looking at almost a year and a half by the time Condit steps into the ring, uh, steps into the gate on Saturday. But Magny has this unique ability to hang around. Um, he hangs around in fights he probably has no business hanging around in. Um, you know, he's competitive against opponents that, on the surface, he probably shouldn't be competitive against. So uh, I'm taking Condit. Um, I just think he has too many weapons. But this is probably going to be another competitive fight. And that's that's what Neil Magny does. He, he gets better every time in. He's not a great athlete. But he's somehow 11-3 and three in his last 14 fights. And he, he's had some big wins. So, you know, Magny is he's just a mixed martial arts. He's a tough guy. He's not going to beat himself suddenly because of how often he fights. He has a lot of experience against high-level fighters. So I certainly don't expect him to go in and get blown out. But um, I'm going to take Condit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking Condit too because I think he's the overall better, more well-rounded mixed martial artist. But, you know, just to to play some devil's advocate for Magny here, he's, he's an inch taller, five-inch reach advantage, and all the striking stats pretty much, I mean, Strikes landed per minute, striking accuracy. Magny has the advantage there, and and you can't really complain about the sample size because he has fought, you know, Dos Anjos, Lorenz Larkin, a couple of these guys, and Magny's even had big DraftKings performances against. Um, I mean, it was a five round fight against Kelvin Gastelum, who we both think very highly of. Magny scored 102 DraftKings points there, put up 139 against Hector Lombard, which if you were to put 139 up, you know, in 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 any fight of late, that's you know winning. Uh, putting a good part towards winning you your lineup here in the last three though only had one point against dos anchos only had four points against uh, lorenz larkin but he did manage to get 60 points taking a decision from uh you know pretty washed up johnny Hendricks at this point so magni although on the surface may seem like a decent value play numbers wise he certainly seems like a value play because he's the closest uh, he's 7700 and he's uh He's the closest. I mean, this is technically the closest fight. Now, not just the pay per view, but the whole entire card, odds wise. So that might make it look for you. But I'd be pretty hesitant uh, to use Magni. But this could be one where I make you know one lineup with him and one lineup without him, just to kind of see what happens. But but overall, I'm with you, John, and we're rolling Condit on this one. Yeah, no, no one's ever going to accuse Neil Magni of ducking fights. You know, he'll fight anybody. So, mm-hmm. and that opens up a lot of opportunities to pull upsets, and he's pulled plenty of them, and. You know, my, I imagine he's going to be competitive again. But, you know, I guess we'll, we're going to find out where Condit's mindset is because, like we were talking about before, once thinking about maybe they should step away, it's usually, you know, time to consider that. But, you know, I know we both think Condit has, you know, has a lot left to give the sport. And, you know, we're going to find out on Saturday if his head's really in it or if he really should be considering uh, giving it up. Mm-hmm. And the staff, like I said, we picked Condit unanimously. Not a single person went out for Neil Magny. We don't think the layoff's going to affect Condit, and we think the natural-born killer will be coming back here. So it's going to be a very interesting fight with what I believe is kicking off the pay-per-view card, but I don't know if or if the um, if the uh, Hooker-Diakessi fight uh, is going to get... I'm not entirely sure, certain of the order here at this time. We're recording this about Thursday evening here. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, John? We've mentioned before, it's been the theme of the show so far, but this is a really tough card to attack on DraftKings. Outside of the guys we mentioned, do you have any other value plays that you're uh, that you're interested in or targeting? 
Well, you know, the one guy I picked outright to win that's that's a big underdog is Rick Glenn, who is at 7,400 against Miles Jury, who's at 8,800. And, you know, the more I think about it, Jury's uh, 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 really good. And another guy who has been a bit inconsistent, but most of that is because he's been hurt and hasn't fought a lot. But Rick Glenn recently um, made the switch to Team Alpha Male, um, his first fight since moving, uh, you know, to the new camp, September, totally dominated Gavin Tucker. Mm-hmm. You know, Rick Glenn, just, you know, a veteran, you know, almost 25 professional fights, just tough, gritty, does a lot of things well, isn't going to beat himself. Um, you know, I understand why Jury's the favorite, and, you know, I understand why he has a hefty salary and, you know, Glenn's salary is fairly low, but... Like you said before, not a lot of underdogs on this card. And Glenn, why I understand he's an underdog, one of the few I think has you know the potential to return at least some value. Even if he loses, might be able to do some damage to help you out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, de- definitely. I see where you're coming from there. So uh, you know, if you're in a spot where you have to pick between Rick Glenn or someone like uh, like Dan Hooker going up against against the Casey, both guys pretty similar salaries here. That's all Glenn for you. It is, although Hooker's decent too. But uh, you know the, the guys on the you know the lower part of the card, whether you're going to do Tim Elliott or um, you know Louis Smoke and guys like that. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. you know you know six you know six and one half dozen of the other. You know, not a whole lot of separation between these names. Mm-hmm. At which point, it's almost imperative that you make a bunch of different lineups because. It's kind of a card that once you you know you start you know going with all the favorites, you're going to be in trouble because there's not a ton of separation for the underdogs. So, you know, mix things up. You know, mix some what you would view with view as some safe plays with some risky plays. You know, things like that. And um, you know, try try and get try and get a piece of cyborg. You know, we would both advocate only because she seems to be the one fighter on the card who even though her salary is massive, is in a good position, you know, to rack up a ton of points and then, you know, just mix and match from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I, I'm with you. If you said life or death, pick one win on this card, you know, it's got to be Cyborg. So you got to get creative from there. Uh, um, and, you know, even early on, they, they got these flyweights that are heavy favorites, Nicolau and Elliott, 8,900, 9,000. Even if they win, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in super early stoppages there. The odds to finish on, on neither of those fights are pretty unfavorable. So this is one of the toughest ones to attack on DraftKings overall. But fantasy aside, you got one you're most excited to see, John? I, I think for me, it's actually it's probably the, the um, Barboza-Habib fight. Only because Habib, it's kind of... The only reason he hasn't fought for a title yet is simply because he can't stay healthy. If the guy was healthy, um, you know, he he could very easily be champion by now. So not only am I interested to see how he looks after, again, another year plus off, you know, the question, another question is, and one we're not going to get an answer to is how quickly is, even if he wins, how quickly is he going to be able to back back? Because the guy's had trouble, you know, really fighting twice in whatever, you know, six months, like, you know, your average fighter does he, twice, even twice a year. You know, he, some guy, you know, Act, more active fighters, you know, we would probably say fight, you know, three, maybe even four times a year. He's having trouble fighting twice a year. So even that would be a start. 
Mm-hmm. And he could earn a title shot or even a, at the very least a number one contender fight if he can put Barboza away. So I think for me that's probably the most exciting um, exciting fight on the entire card. Um, like we said, you know, the prelims, at least the, the non-pay-per-view prelims, a little weak compared to what we've seen lately. Actually, some of the undercards of late have actually been quite good. This isn't on the level of some of the other ones, but there should be some entertaining fights on the main card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even leading up, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, another great nickname here, Mark the Bone Crusher Diakessi, uh, a 24-year-old kind of prospect from uh, from England here. Lost his last fight, last time out to Dakar close by split decision in the tough finale. Um, but, you know, before then, the guy's undefeated, and, and I want to see if he can kind of live up to that name. But, you know, overall, the main event's it's good, but if it happens like we predict it's going to happen, nobody's going to be too surprised. There's a lot more intrigue in the co-main event for me. I want to see uh, what Habib uh, can do after this layoff and if he's able to handle, you know, basically manhandle Barbosa like he has just about every other opponent there. Um, so, yeah. So that's going to wrap things up, John, I guess. Uh, good luck to you with your DraftKings lineup. I hope you had a, a happy holidays, uh, Merry Christmas and everything um, with the season here for you out east. And, um it was great talking to you, John. Once again, guys, uh, follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. You alluded to this card earlier, John. Um, you know, I'm excited for this card on Saturday, but, man, UFC 220, that Miotrich and Gano, that's going to be a banger, ain't it? Two title fights in uh, the miotrich Nagano fight is, you know, one of the ones. There's usually two or three a year that you say you're really, really looking forward to. And that's going to be one of them for 2018, even though it's going to happen in the first month of the year. Mm-hmm. After watching, I mean, we were all over in Ghana in that last show today. So uh, all, all the credit to you, of course, there. in uh, uh, Ghana just after watching what he did to Overeem, I mean, I can't wait to see him get go up against maybe a, you know, a little bit more speed-heavy, refined, technical-type fights. So not to get too far ahead of us, but uh, that's going to be an excellent card, John, in Boston. Um, but hey, Thanks again for joining me. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Good luck on DraftKings, and enjoy the fights, folks. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks.